This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello, it's Paul Wheelock and welcome to the Morning Bulletin podcast where we round up all the big headlines from overnight concerning Liverpool FC. And to help me do that, I'm joined on the line by Matt Addison. Matt, how are you? Very good, thanks, yeah. Just uh, recovering from a, a long day yesterday. Of course, that Premier League meeting, which I'm sure we're going to go into shortly. But uh, yeah, it was uh, an interesting day with not a great deal of details come out, but you know, it, I think it was uh, an important step to, to getting football back. So we are edging closer day by day and, and hopefully we get a bit more concrete news soon and I appreciate we have been saying that quite a lot in, in recent weeks but it does feel like it, it, it is getting closer so fingers crossed it does, yeah. Liverpool and the fellow Premier League clubs did receive the news yesterday that the government announced that sporting events could be played behind closed doors for broadcast after June the 1st. And uh, there were also reports after that that Premier League's plans to play the remaining 92 games at neutral venues had, had hit a few problems, man. It was something that you, Paul Gorstein, Doyle and Guy Clark discussed on Monday's Blood Red podcast there. But typically, it was after the podcast was recorded that we eventually got to hear from the Premier League via its chief executive, Richard Masters. We've picked up some of his comments on the Echo's website, but Matt, for anyone who's not had a chance to read them yet, could you kind of sum them up for us? Yeah, um, some some comments that came in last night, as you say, from the Premier League and, and the chief executive. And basically, uh, he says that, you know, pretty much every club, or every club, in fact, is opposed to playing at neutral venues when football does return. I think in terms of him saying that every club is opposed, I think he means more that every club would prefer to play at their home ground, as was obviously going to be the case. I think if it came to it, you know, and it was a choice between neutral grounds or nothing at all, then I think pretty much every club would be content to go with the neutral grounds. But of course, the idea was to have sort of eight to ten neutral stadiums to, to complete the season in. That idea has, has sort of been put back by a few clubs, particularly those in the bottom six who are in, de- in danger of, of going down because obviously we heard last week from the likes of Christian Perslow and, and various chief executives at, at Aston Villa, at Watford, at teams like that. They say that you know there's a, a big advantage really to be had when you play at home. Uh, I'm not entirely sure that I agree with that, to be honest. I think... Obviously, you know, research has suggested in the past that that is the case under normal circumstances. But a huge, huge part of that is having fans in the stadium backing you rather than, you know, shouting against you. They're shouting for you, and that can have a big difference. Of course, it can. But without fans, I'm not sure, to be honest, exactly what the, you know, the, the tangible difference is. Of course, you've got things like pitch dimensions. You've got things like. You know, the, the away team will still have to travel and will still have to stay in a hotel the night before rather than their own bed, that sort of thing. But, you know, without fans, I'm not too sure, to be honest, quite how different that is. But certainly the Premier League clubs seem to be suggesting that, that is the case. And, yeah, I think what came out of, of yesterday's meeting was that all 20 of them would prefer to ask the government to play in their own stadiums, which, you know, as we touched on in, in yesterday's Blood Red, it sort of hints at the fact that it's eight to ten neutral grounds was suggested by the government in the first place. So it's going to have to be passed from those at the top again. I think there's going to be more discussions this week between the clubs and the government. And we just have to, to wait and see what happens really with that. But the Premier League were keen to stress as well that 
player safety will come first. I think you know that, that's that's obviously sort of an well, it's an obvious thing to say, isn't it? That's that's got to be the case. But ultimately, the bottom line is if if clubs say if clubs go to the government and the government says no, you've got to have these eight to ten stadiums because that's the safest way of doing it. It will either come down to they accept that or they don't play, and, and then it's a case of. You know, the null and void is, is certainly off the table. So then it would be maybe a points per game system, which comes again with its own difficulties of, of which system do you use and, and whether clubs would be happy with that. And of course, they would lose the, the TV money if these matches don't get played. So I think, look, the the ideal scenario from this stage is that the government say yes, you can play in your own stadiums, and, and we get on with that. But for me, the, the most likely thing remains that the government might just say, no, you need to, to play in these neutral venues and, and you just need to get on with it. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think there's a lot of posturing at the moment, which is not a particularly good look, to be honest. And I think one way or the other, the, the, the games will be going ahead. If the government say neutral venues, so be it. If they don't and they allow them to be played at the home grounds, yeah, of course, everyone will be a bit happier. To, to me, Matt, the biggest hurdle, you kind of touched on it then, is, is more whether the players feel safe enough to return to training than competing matches because, yeah, they are multi-millionaires. They probably leave lives that are separate and far away than most of us, but they are human beings too. And we, we've seen it over this coronavirus crisis. One or two have kind of spoke about their feelings on, on this subject. And it was underlined again last night by comments made from Danny Rose and Raheem Sterling. They've been largely reported this morning. Matt, what have they been saying? Yeah, both both players have come out, and they're obviously not the first Premier League players, but they've essentially said that they they wouldn't be comfortable with a Premier League return at this stage. Danny Rose, in particular, goes very strong and, and essentially says that you know the, the government are, are using the players for for boosting morale, which obviously is not as important as as the safety of of these players themselves. So, I think for me. Ultimately, as much as it's, it is difficult to agree with these comments, I don't think footballers will be forced to come back before it is safe to do so. I think it's important to remember that you know they've got tests, they will have things in place, they will have the best medical facilities. And of course, you've got to, to be careful, you've got to go through the correct protocols to make sure these, these sorts of things are, are done correctly. But I don't think, you know, I, I don't think footballers will be put in danger necessarily. I don't think this decision will be taken before a point when it is safe. I think it would be well, it would be wrong of, of us or or whoever to suggest that that would be the case because you know I certainly wouldn't envisage that scenario sort of being correct. So as much as, as what they say, you know, there is a sort of discomfort and and right now I think that's understandable. I still think we are a number of weeks down the line from playing football obviously the government have, have given the green light from June the 1st but the likelihood is that it will be June the 8th and that weekend at the absolute earliest and the situation by that point could then be very different so at the moment I completely understand you know they, they wouldn't want to go back and, and play matches tomorrow but the plan isn't isn't really to do that at all it, it, it's to sort of relax the general public's sort of restrictions as well over the next few weeks and, and only then I think would we see you know, as Britain enters the next stage of the lockdown then football would return so obviously footballers are you know they've 
they've got their own families and their own lives to, to consider. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, they're, they're not going to be put into any danger, I don't think, by doing this. And I think with the medical facilities, the tests, they're almost in, in a fortunate position, really, which a lot of other people are going to have to go back to work maybe without that being the case. So as much as I understand what these, these two players are saying, I think probably, you know, as many, if not more players will be okay with going back than those who speak out. But of course, you know, the, these two players speaking out is always going to make the headlines. Very good points, Matt. Uh, as you rightly say there, certain sections of society have been told go to, told to go back to work if they can, I think. <laughs> Still very unclear. Uh, and Paul Joyce of The Times is reporting that one section of the industry that has been told to go back to work is the, the building one, and that will allow Liverpool to restart a major project. Yes, it certainly will. Uh, the training ground in Kirby, of course, that £50 million move, there's been a lot of work put into that by lots of, of construction workers. And yeah, six weeks without that now, of course, because of, of coronavirus, but work now is going to resume staff are going to be brought back onto the site gradually um not all at once because obviously there's obviously got to be a safety conscious approach um and yeah i mean there's, 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 there's literally weeks of work that remain they are very very close they could have you know maybe even finished it by now if it, if it wasn't for the coronavirus so yeah very very close to, to completion um liverpool had scheduled their move for july uh, which you know, the, the report states is still possible because you know, there, there is such a, a limited amount of work to be done. Of course, there's not; it's not going to be quite as, as quick as what it would have been because, as I said, the uh, the staff on site are going to gradually increase in numbers. So it's not going to be full steam ahead straight away, but it seems like work will resume very, very quickly. It's worth pointing out, though, that Liverpool could remain at Melwood for another 12 months if they felt that that was necessary. They do have... Uh, the, the lease and, and that sort of thing in place for that but at this stage it, it looks very unlikely that that will be needed I think it's likely that Liverpool will be there for pre-season of course that raises the question of, of how long will pre-season be because there might only be a couple of weeks between the end of this season and, and the start of next one potentially um, so maybe it's not hugely important that Liverpool are, are in for pre-season but I think it will be a big boost if they can finish off this training ground and, and move into that ahead of next season because you know to, to have a bigger facility to have obviously the academy and, and that on the same site as well is going to be a big deal for the club it's something they've been looking forward to for a long time and I'm sure Jurgen Klopp and his players will you know be absolutely fine if they have to stay at Melwood there's nothing wrong with it it's still a world-class facility but you know this one is, is even better so it would be I think it would be a, a nice boost ahead of of next season if, if this could be done and, and they could move in there it would to our final headline listeners to uh, me and Matt on this podcast will know by now that we do like to engage in a little transfer tittle tattle and usually I'd give reports linking Liverpool with Kalidou Koulibaly a bit of a wide berth not because he's not a great player we all know he is but because of his age and the price he would no doubt cost but the rumours do persist about the, uh, the the defender moving to, to Anfield in the summer and this latest report does quote a very reputable source. Yeah, Gabriel Marcotti is, is obviously someone who knows Italian football very, very well. And, and he says that there will be a lot of clubs in this summer for, for Calidou Koulibaly of Napoli. And 
And he is for sale as well. Liverpool are reportedly one of those teams who are in for him. Um, and Cunabali only has one year left on his contract. So it could be a situation where he's available for a cut price fee. I mean, I know in the past, maybe a year or two years ago, it's been spoken about of, of Koulibaly maybe demanding a fee even in excess of what Liverpool paid for, for Virgil van Dijk. It certainly will not be, be that sort of figure with, with only 12 months left on his contract. So, yeah, it, it's an interesting one. Obviously, as you say, he's a world-class player. He's someone who Liverpool have faced a number of times. and I'm sure I'm not the only one who's come away from Anfield being very, very impressed by him. But, you know, Koulibaly turns 29 in a couple of months' time. You know, Liverpool have already got Joe Gomez there. I don't think you know that there's any reason to take him out of the team and, and put Koulibaly in. I think you'd want to continue Joe Gomez's development. The only way I could see it happening really is if if Dan Lovren was to leave and, and Liverpool could bring in Koulibaly as a sort of cut price replacement and, and sort of rotate him and, and Gomez alongside Van Dijk potentially. But you know, even then, you know, Koulibaly and, and Lovren are a similar age. He's obviously got much bigger wages. So, you know, would Koulibaly accept that sort of rotation role? I'm not too sure. So, look, Liverpool, understandably, have shown an interest in the past. I think he's a fantastic defender, certainly in the top five in the world. So it would be, you know, a big thing for Liverpool to get him. I think I'm sure Koulibaly would be attracted by playing at Liverpool, but think the fact that the transfer window is going to be so strange, as we've discussed before, if Liverpool can only sign one or, or maybe absolutely at the maximum two players this summer, which is sort of what the reports are suggesting, I really don't think signing Koulibaly would be the number one priority. I think someone like Timo Werner and then we've seen someone like Tim potentially being linked, someone like that, I think those would come before Koulibaly. So, yeah, the, the fact that his age and his wages are, are much higher than than what you'd imagine Liverpool would prefer, the fact that Joe Gomez is there as well, and, and the fact that there is transfer market uncertainty makes me think that this probably won't happen. But you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Koulibaly end up maybe at, at Juventus or, or Inter Milan and, and staying in Italy. But certainly, whoever gets him will get a top class defender, and it, it is interesting that, that Liverpool have been name checked as as one of those who might be interested. It is indeed. Thanks, Matt. That's all for today's Morning Bulletin. But before we go, I just want to flag our next podcast, which will be out at 3pm UK time today. It sees Dan Kay and Guy Clark reminiscing about the Michael Owen FA Cup final in 2001, which took place exactly 19 years ago today, and the Steven Gerrard FA Cup final in 2006, which took place exactly 14 years ago tomorrow. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.